Knockout Ginger, episode 19, with Nick Frazier. Incredible drummer, band leader, composer. His new record is called Zoning. It's out now. Uh, We both take some pretty long pauses when we speak. So buckle up. Email me at knockoutginger at gmail.com. F all the haters. I also don't know what going wrong means. Like... Like, there's all... There's always going to be a spectrum of things going a certain way, or I don't know. Like even if there's very specific music to play, and you don't you don't play it properly. <laughs> uh, It could still be a great gig. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But if you're trying to play really specific music and it doesn't go as planned and you're alone, chances are it's not going to be a great gig. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that. Because of because of how you can get out of it, because of how you can navigate it. Yeah, that's true. And also, it's never as bad as you think it is, right? Like it's if you think it's bad, it's probably at least okay. There's a, some there's a base level that that you've you feel that you're uh, um, like just a we have higher expectations for ourselves yeah yeah and also you think I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's happened to me so many times where I, you know, I've I've been lost or like or fucked up in something, and I go like that. That was terrible. And then, you know, you, I notice it a lot with recording. You, you know, you never know which one is going to be the take, and or. Maybe you think you know. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're not. But. Yeah. Yeah. There's just often. Um, I mean, on, on one of Lena's records, there's a tune that, that um, we play called Hush. And uh, I don't even remember. I don't even remember which record is which anymore. But long story short, the the take uh, that we did is great, and uh, and afterwards we're all going, eh, that was no good. Mm. Like you can hear it on the, and of course. But of course, that was the one with the vibe, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're just taking a pause for drugs. Yeah. I think that was Benadryl. <laughs> um. With this. Uh, like philosophy of 
what can really go wrong or like what is wrong. Mm-hmm. How do you, um, do you like teach this to your students or like, how do you approach that? Teach what? The- like the idea of like, nothing can really go wrong here. Well, like, how does that happen with I, young musicians or hmm. do you have an opinion or, uh, I mean, the problem is that when you're when you're in jazz school, things can go wrong. And I mean, I don't know. You're, and I mean, my my students are. I don't know. I get a lot of students that they look. They want to study with me because I'm the quote unquote creative guy, and then, but I don't I don't teach that way. I teach very very normal basic stuff that everybody has to know, right? Or that I think drummers have to know. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and so. there's a certain thing of like, well, either you played it, played it well, or you didn't play it well. You know, that, that is, there's something real. I'm not saying there's no such thing as, as mistakes or there's no such thing as, as a bad gig. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I realize that. I just didn't like, it's hard to, it's often hard for, uh, I feel like just for, for younger people, especially there, there's some, a gig that doesn't go great can be pretty devastating, I guess is my, mm. so like maybe just like, can you sort of like guide young well, people? Well, you can't talk of, someone out of their anxiety or their, I mean, I don't know. There was, when I was growing up in Ottawa, there was this trumpet player named Bill Rowett and he one time this this guy played at a jam session and uh bill said to him uh, sounds great man and he was like oh no oh no no it was terrible i was terrible and whatever and he just like slapped him on the shoulder and said i said sounds great <laughs> <laughs> and i thought like that's that's the best uh that's the best approach is just, you know, like, I mean, that's, it's slightly different, but, but with yourself to, you know, being, being gracious, right? Somebody tells you it sounds great. You go, thanks. Even if you didn't think it sounded great, mm-hmm. but also you can do that with yourself. You know, you like, you can be kind to yourself and you can be forgiving of yourself and you can be, uh, yeah, you know? it's a tough sell, but <laughs> I hear you. I mean, you, it's it's balance because yeah. obviously you want to you want to play it right, or you know you want to do things well. Also, yeah. How do you deal with the that idea of like people wanting to study with you? because you're the quote-unquote creative guy. Ignore it. And then, so like... Well, it's... uh, For drummers, I mostly just ignore it. Yeah, so... But sometimes people come and study with me uh, who don't play the drums, in which case I embrace it, and we play free together, and we... (laughs) (laughs) We talk about how to be creative because I don't know how to play. Then I don't know how to play the saxophone or the right. trumpet or whatever. So, uh. yeah, it's a weird thing. It's like a like I don't play. I rarely, rarely play standards outside of the house. But mm-hmm. when I practice, that's almost that's like a big chunk of my practicing and like or like warm-up or whatever mm-hmm. like ear training or yeah and w- uh w- why not out of the house 
uh, I don't know. It's not because I don't like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are just, I don't know, maybe there are just so many people in the city that are m- more into it than I am and sound better doing it. So I don't have the uh, quite as many opportunities to do it. But mm. I'm not pointing the finger. Like I'm, uh, but because I'm also part of the problem, but the idea of like going to even a session and having half the people reading real book charts oh, yeah. is like super not yeah, yeah, yeah. my vibe. Like I'm just not. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. It's definitely tricky because yeah. I, lo- I love playing standards but often if sometimes when if i play a session and people want to play standards it can be hard for it not to feel like you're just playing a jobbing gig and not not making any money yeah you know what i mean yeah uh like there's a like you know how i I often talk about the transact as being kind of Mm semi-public so but sessions are often kind of semi-private. It's like somewhere somewhere between practicing and playing together. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's like not you're not if if unless the situation is right, you're not even. Some people approach it like um, glorified Abersold or something, or like like they're just working their shit out and they're not really that interested in playing with you. It's just a little bit more fun than practicing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like a, I think maybe it also takes a bit of time to like, well, one of the answers for the reading thing is like, just learn more tunes. Yeah. That's like the quick, easy thing, but also like sessioning more with people and being like i feel like there's definitely a thing of like well here there's less jam sessions at establishments Mm -hmm. but there's definitely a thing where certain tunes come in and out of like like there's phases of like a lot of people calling the same thing here and there yes and then so it's like kind of the more you hang around the more you realize what people are playing like currently sort of mm-hmm. so there's kind of ways to like bounce around the eye the the uh problem of not knowing a ton of tunes sort of mm-hmm. if you like just kind of have your ear to the ground <laughs> if that makes sense but yeah i don't know it doesn't really affect me yeah you can yeah, learn, all, all the tunes go dang 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 you can learn them on the count in yeah <laughs> uh Are you, uh, your new record, are you improvising or is, are there comp- compositions or? Mostly compositions. Nice. Um, Yours? Yeah. Uh, one of Chris's, one of Tony's, three of mine. Is, that is it is it trio? It's trio on half of it and then Ingrid Lobrock and Lena Alamano are added for some of it. Nice. So Chris Davis, Tony Malaby. Yes. Chris Davis, Tony Malaby. <laughs> Ingrid Lobrock, Lena Alamano, Nick Fraser, Astral Spirits Records. It's entitled Zoning. Zoning. Nice. I like that you chose that. I know there was a time when you were like... I felt like it might sound like a bad electronic record. No, it's good. There's like a little bit of a construction vibe. Right. Just like small enough. But I like it. Thanks, Mike. Uh, when is that coming out? Uh, I believe it's coming out in early October on Astral Spirits Records, which is a cassette. Well, it's not an all cassette label. They do CDs and vinyls also, but it is coming out on CD and cassette. Uh, Astral Spirits is a label uh, based in Austin, Texas, and quite prolifically documenting 
uh, I think he calls it the new free jazz, but I don't, I don't know about, I don't know if it's the new free jazz, but I guess it, I guess it is. It's being, it's being made now. So it's new. Yeah. Do you have plans to like do a release show or anything? Yes. It's at the beginning of December. Here? At the Rex. Sweet. Is everyone coming? Yes. Chris is going to be here. Well, no, sorry. It's trio. It's going to be a trio show. Not everyone's coming. Oh. Trio of you, Tony and Chris. Yeah. Nice. I saw you guys play at Corzo. Mm-hmm. Three years ago, maybe? Two, three years ago? Yeah. What's, what's happening with Corzo? It's gone. It's not. It's nothing. But there is. The, they got a mean burger still. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't know. I the last I heard that series, mm-hmm. uh, Conceptions, right? With yeah. The K was looking for a new home. Yeah. So I don't know what went wrong or what. What's a drag? I wouldn't be surprised if they were just looking for a bigger room. I guess. But. I would imagine if that was the case, they wouldn't have stopped. Yeah. It. Man, I'm sure it'll come around again, but I. I thought New York was a drag last time I was there. No kidding. <laughs> like, it just seems to be on a down part of the cycle. So many great musicians, and you know, but then Cornelia Street closed. Corzo is not happening. I was just looking around, going, "Where, what, where do I go?" You know. Yeah. Like one of the last cool spots that's usually pretty awesome is the gal- jazz gallery. Yeah. And it's like affordable and awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know. Uh. Yeah, at this point, I just feel like, uh, based on how much it costs to exist in New York versus how cool it is, it's not even. It's not worth it. Not even remotely a good idea at this moment. Yeah. Uh, you hear but about. Probably like, people were saying that. Probably people have been saying that since about 1972. Right. But so you hear about the glory days of New York, yeah, and how much worse it's gotten, or whatever what whatever word you want to use mm-hmm. uh, and then so I moved down there in two thousand and thirteen, and even since two thousand and thirteen i I'm just I feel like I've just watched it totally decline mm. so I can't even imagine what the life the ogs <laughs> are feeling like well I mean you're not wrong but I also feel like there's still a cachet about being about being there in terms of getting out on the road and getting out getting out uh, building a career as a touring artist seems like it's a good spot to center yourself because there's a lot, a lot of. There's just a lot of people there and a lot of people from all over. Yeah. So. Yeah, I hear. Yeah, definitely. But I also think that this is all based on uh, kind of the fact that the jazz world is still on the old model of everything. Y- yeah. Yes, like we, yeah, we were talking about that with, in terms of publicists and so on, mm-hmm. and and uh, how you're basically just buying into an old model, if you uh, hire a publicist to promote your record, to get into a bunch of old school media. But I, I mean, you know. I haven't figured out the 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 other answer, the new school way of doing it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know either. I'm trying, but mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be working. 
this is this is it though Nako ginger this is a big piece of welcome to the, the future it's a big yeah, piece idiots of, no I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is my main piece of uh promo for my new record is this what's happening right now that's great that's a good idea right Well, uh, you know, um, my listeners are dropping at a pretty steady pace. Oh, perfect. They're all. Yeah. Cause we, when you first get a podcast, it's like, oh, I'm going to see what Mike's up to. Yeah. Oh, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At first I was like, oh, hundreds of people are listening. This is great. No, not anymore. Yeah. Um, well. Shout out to all 12 of you. Uh, 23. <laughs> now, uh, I, so, I think problem number one is we're all spending too much money on making a record. Yeah. Like the punk in terms of, well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, for me, the the main, not the main cost, but like because you mean because you can record it in your parents' bathroom and and um and just with your own gear and be done with it and that's your record. Uh. Partially, like this, this thing that I just put out is, was sort of like, okay, how cheaply and quickly can I make something that I still want people to hear? It was like sort of just a little bit like how, what are the possibilities here? But I mean, like that's extreme. Like we're not going to put a band in my Mm -hmm. parents, but like, and you got it. We got to pay each other. Well, that's is mm-hmm. that's a huge thing, or but also not like if you actually have. But, a, I mean, it seems like I mean, it just depends what kind of record you want to make. Yeah, you know. Uh, my bet is that uh, you know making your solo bass record was cheaper than the piano tuning on my recent record. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so including download cards that I printed, yeah. my record cost $47 to yeah. make. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Although you did have to buy the this Zoom recorder. And yeah, but microphone. I like, I guess... Did you rent a microphone? Did I rented two microphones right. for $26. But does this count? Like I already had this for other things, part of the oh, price. Yeah. I guess right, we can... Right. You could frag the numbers around a little more, but um, I suggest when you apply for arts funding to not say that you can make a record for forty seven dollars. Yeah, <laughs> or at least not not plan to do it that way. Yeah, but yeah, that's another sh- shit spiral. <laughs> what was the first shit spiral? Uh, all of these decisions I've made. (laughs) Uh, Like, the next thing is, how can I... I'm not knocking arts funding. I think it's important. Mm -hmm. But... In my position, and I know I'm not speaking out of school here. There's a lot of other people like me. The government is giving us money to make records. Or not me. I haven't yeah. had that happen yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the government just shoveling out money for records that no one's hearing. That makes me feel weird. But like, then there's people like you and Lena and Brody who are just like, making fabulous records 
with careers. So like, there's got to be a way of, of like. I'm not. I'm not sure what the disconnect is. I mean, you're saying the disconnect is like I feel horrible taking money away from people with audiences. You know what I'm saying? Money away. Like if I'm taking a, my chunk of the pie. Yeah. And no one's hearing my record. Like what? Like what's the? Well, but it's it's. I mean, not that it's a perfect process. It's yeah. really not. But it it's a competitive process. So it's not like it's not like anyone's going. Oh, we got to keep a little chunk for Mike. You know, like they would have to think that your record was better than other records. Your proposed record. Yeah. You know. But the like the facts are, and it's, it's not. And not. if they think that it's better than whatever, uh, the new Nick Fraser record, then you'll get money and I won't that time. I don't know. And the fact that no one listens to them, I mean that you know, it's a uh, it's luck of the it's not. I don't know what the word is, but. You know, it's not. They're not just funding records. They're funding films that no one watches, and they're funding uh, paintings that no one looks at, and they're funding uh, podcasts that no one listens to, and video True. art yeah. installations that no one installs. And also, I don't want to complain. Like, uh, I'm very lucky to be making music that no one listens to. Like, that's a yeah. I may. I this is. Yeah, precisely the life that I carved out for myself. Also, also, like, it's really different. Not that different. Like, if you say, um, you know, everyone thinks that no one listens, <laughs> right? And I have the numbers to prove it, though. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> yeah, but you know, so do I, <laughs> right? Like, uh. You know, if you were doing it to have people, to have, you know, a large number of people listen, you would make dis different decisions. And you would do different, it, you'd do something else. Also very true. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I have a question. Okay. Are you going to play music as part of the podcast or is it just yakking? It's, I, th I don't know. So I could send you some of the new record and you could play some of it. That'd be cool. I th like generally my, I sort of, when I listen to podcasts that do that, mm -hmm. I'm sort of frustrated with the cut in the conversation. So I haven't been doing it. And I kind of made the decision that I was just going to sort of do like playlist episodes mm. periodically. But enough people have mentioned are you going to play music on this podcast that I think maybe it's time to start? I don't know. All right. I mean, you're going to cut some, some of the conversation anyway. Totally. Because we said things that are, yeah, that are wildly controversial. Yeah. And, <laughs> and not for public consumption. Yes. We really let her rip. Wow. If you ever hear the unedited version, you won't even know what hit you. Uh, some of them are. This is actually a pretty, pretty inside one. We're doing good. Okay. <laughs> I, I recorded one a couple weeks ago. I physically stood up and turned the recorder off <laughs> because of because of like rotting about people in the scene, or because of like uh, off color. What, what was the what was the um, all A to Z. Yeah, right. the whole thing. Right. Shout out Eric West and Mark Godfrey. When did you move to Toronto? Oh, man. Uh, 1995. I moved to Toronto. Uh, did you... I went to university for one semester, and then I... Um, Moved, lived in Ottawa for a year, playing gigs. Then I moved to Toronto. 
1995. Who were your... Uh... I studied with a guy named Chris McCann, who lives in Montreal, uh, uh, for a number of years. I studied with a guy named John Riley in New York for on and off, on and off. Uh, Did you see him while he was here the I, last couple I nights? I saw him. Uh, I was playing at the Rex with Andrew Downing's Otterville. And, uh, oh, yeah, he was playing saw, after you guys. Saw a little bit of it. Um, yeah. Did you ever, did you study with Toronto people? I studied with briefly. Um, which is, um, another story. <laughs> uh, an off mic story yeah alright um, and I don't know I, I, I those are the only people I studied with really um, I mean I took I took one off lessons I still do that on occasion uh, you're listening to the knockout ginger podcast i feel like that's terribly dangerous that thing that's smashing against the house is a tank of some sort like propane or something yeah they're installing a new air conditioner i think or central air or tanks so you've been playing with lena for quite some time yeah when i first moved to toronto i had a band i started a band that was me quinson lena and jordan o'connor and we didn't do very much we didn't make a record or anything we did we played at the Rex and we played some other places was this like uh around the time of like or before owls in daylight or around yeah, that around that time so what was the uh how did you make that record like it, that's a pretty unique lineup how did um, that decision happen between like having a a band like well a i wanted to do something band? with justin who was living in Ottawa at the time. And I don't know, I had this job uh, doing film security for film shoots and I saved up a bunch of money and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. And I thought, well, I'll make a record, hmm. you know? Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I just thought Quinson would be a, good fit I mean it's one of those weird things like we tried to do gig we just played the record like Quin Quinson and Justin met at the session and and then we tried to do gigs later and it was disastrous not disastrous but but it didn't work hmm. it didn't um, you know I think the record worked but it didn't never worked as a band yeah the record definitely worked Um, and then when did that come out? 97. And then or possibly uh, whatever. It might have come out in 98. We recorded it in 97. So then like the gap I mean, I'm sure if people are listening, they would know. But for me, there's a gap. I guess the next earliest stuff that I listen to that you're on would be Lena's stuff. Right, which would, would have started around... 2007 or something? Yeah, something like that. Okay, so a couple of factors there. Decades to cover. <laughs> uh <laughs> 
one is that I had an an injury and I didn't play in from September 2000 to September 2001. I remember that because the day that the day that I was meant to play my first gig back was September 11th 2001, which quite a day as you may recall. Um But I did make a so I made uh, Nick Fraser and Justin Haynes are faking it, which was two thousand four. Justin and I were doing duo stuff. Uh, uh, maybe it okay. was two, maybe that was two thousand two. Anyway, See, something I, like that. I thought that was later. Okay. Then, uh, then I had Drumheller, which made our first. We made our first record in two thousand four. I also thought Drumheller was later. Okay, so I do have, I don't have a big of a gap, a big as a as, as big, big a of a gap yeah. as I thought. And uh, and yeah, that's like two thousand four, three or four. That's when I started playing at the Transac hmm. quite a lot. And um, yeah. So I guess more specifically, uh, the question is, um, how did you get from? Or maybe you didn't. Maybe it was just like this all the time. But uh, the jump from like Mike Murley to Owls in Daylight. Mm, it's I a pretty see. drastic Sure, shift. but I was always interested in free improvising. Right. So, and I was always interested in in jazz and in... Um, Yeah, the place that free improvising holds in mm-hmm. jazz, if that makes sense. Um, so that was always happening. Even when I was trying to figure out how to play tunes, I was also interested in in free improvising. So it didn't seem it didn't seem like too much of a weird thing for me to. Uh, make a record that was based in in free improvisation while playing jazz gigs and playing you know pop music and and singer songwriter type music and it just didn't seem that big of a leap right and i guess also also i i want to make a living as a musician i want to be a musician so saying i want to be a free improviser it's not really a great um so it's a limiting you know, here's a where limiting i think <laughs> career choice here's where i think you're wrong <laughs> I, <laughs> what was the last thing you listened to um i listened to a cannibal Adderley record that he made in new orleans we this is where we get to talk about my records that'll be fun right yeah okay great for sure oh i have Okay, couple thing. I got a couple questions. Yeah. Not questions. Okay. Off mic discussion. I listened to this Julius Hempel big band. Sweet. So so. Oh. Okay. Uh, this Andrew Cyril. What about amazing? Uh, this might be my favorite solo drum recording. Um, what else did I listen to recently? Uh, this is uh winners of the Jules Leger Prize. Uh, from 1970-something. Uh, it's Canadian chamber music. John Ray, Composition. Uh, that uh, is a really great piece. The other piece I was not so into. But... Uh, How old is this uh, Andrew Cyril record? Uh, maybe late 60s. Yeah, I'm going to guess late 60s. Uh, th- like this um, label, the uh, Actuel, yeah, Byg Actuel. Um, there are some really crazy, weird records on that on that uh, label, mm-hmm. and from a really strange period where all these people were in Paris, like all these Black Americans were in Paris, 
the art ensemble people, but also Philly Joe Jones and Archie Shep and um, Hank Mobley and this blues singer named Chicago Bo. And this guy just wanted to record all of them, uh, which he did sometimes at the same time. Like there's a... Archie Shep record with Hank Mobley and Philly Joe Joe and uh, Philly Joe Jones and Malachi Favors and Lester Bowie. Like, which what is that record? Uh, I think it's called Yasmina, a Black Woman. I was put the microphone down for a sec. Yasmina, a black woman. That's the one with Hank Mobley. And then there's another one called Blase. Blase is amazing. It's got Gene Lee and and uh, Philly Joe Malachi Favors. It's unbelievable. Hmm. Um. There's one with Leroy Jenkins and uh, let me find. <laughs> Archie Shep and Billy Joe Jones with Braxton, Malachi. And who's the guy wearing the helmet? I think that's Malachi Favors. Isn't that great? And, uh, oh no, maybe, no, it's not. Earl Freeman. Earl Freeman. Never heard of him. Anyway. I just picked up uh it's a pressing from 1973 mm-hmm. it's called uh bird or charlie parker broadcast performances uh-huh. it's on purple vinyl the art is crazy and it's on um esp yeah yeah, oh, ES- yeah. so so the, the those weird like the, the art there's like armadillos on the front. Yeah, yeah, I know that series you're talking about. But here's the thing. So this is, the one that I have is ESP-Bird-02. Okay. And it says, on the back of this record, it says there are uh, volumes 1 through 14. ESP-Bird-01 through ESP-Bird-14. Okay. And the other records are nowhere to be found on the on the internet. If I type in Bird ESP or whatever, all the different combinations of how I might find this record, the only things that come up on the internet are, are, are Bird ESP 2. Weird. And I can't figure it out. And huh. you can get it on CD through the ESP website hmm. currently. Hmm. Is it a good record? I haven't listened to it yet. Just been too busy researching it on <laughs> yeah. the internet. Yeah, and it came with <laughs> researching a, its brothers and sisters. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, and it came with a uh, p- part of the reason is I don't have a needle at the moment. Oh yeah, um, but it came with a piece of film also. What? So like a film card in like a, and it's just a f- like a little piece of f- what do you? That's film, right? Yeah, just one. Like a image. like a negative, a negative, a negative uh, of the cover. Bizarre, super bizarre, or like a microfiche. Your words, not mine. <laughs> uh, there's something else I listened to recently that I. Oh. Uh, Eric B and Rakim, follow the leader. I got that and and Van Halen from my parents' house. Yeah. This is cool. This is um Poème et Chanson de la Résistance. It's a Quebec separatist record uh with uh some free jazz. Uh some separatist free jazz on it from the probably some wild shit. Early 70s pretty cool is that a is that a big genre separatist free jazz no i think there was one group i think that was one of the greatest records of all time this one no speak brother speak no other direction 
Yeah. Oh, come on. Greatest records of all time? That's on the list. I'm telling you. That's in the conversation. <laughs> You're listening to the Knockout Ginger Podcast. Thrust. Thrust. This is good. Oh, man. This is good. Oh, uh, something that I've been checking out a little bit is uh, Cecil Taylor at Newport. Oh, yeah. Like either his first or second record. That's the one where they they play the blues, right? They Or yeah. they... they um, and he says, like, since this is a jazz festival, we're going to play one of the traditional forms. Yeah. And this is a blues, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that is... I mean, I think that's hilarious for a lot of reasons. But the fact that people talked about it in that way in 1961 or whatever uh, is hilarious. I mean, maybe only Cecil talked about it that way. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. How much Cecil have you... Like, is he a big part of your... I love listening? Cecil. Um, I saw him a few times, which was uh, pretty special. Early, early on, I saw him with Tony Oxley and William Parker. Uh, like when I was around 15 and that was that was a big deal for me uh, I gotta say I haven't I haven't listened to a, a ton lately Yeah. Uh, I feel like I, I maybe only know the ones that like, I guess the ones that they repressed and like made too many of the ones that you go into the, a record store and there's like always the ones there like conqui- uh, uh, unit structures, conquistador, those conquistador are the two on, on blue note. Yeah. Um, and this Newport one, but I'm not, I haven't gone too far down the Cecil Taylor hole. Well, hmm. The 80, 1988 Berlin FMP box set is pretty amazing. Um, is it is it a box set of all his Berlin recordings? Or like what, it, what is it, it? He was there's a festival and he played every night with different people. So Sweet. there's there's duo of him and um, Han Benink. There's a duo of him and Tony Oxley. There's a bunch of duos with drummers. Gunter Baby Somer is another one. And and then there's his trio. There's a large ensemble thing. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I I remember really liking that the field trio looking Berlin version I think that's mm. I think that's in the box set I can't remember I don't have the box set I've just because they released it as a box set and they also released it as uh, what individual CDs mm. um Yeah. I wanted to go study with Cecil at one point, but uh, I didn't. I never did it. Apparently, he was pretty cool. <laughs> you know, he was pretty chill, and like you could just go to his house and play, mm. and it was, you know. Yeah. Um, I hear the same thing about Ornette. Yeah. You just kind of yeah show up and. Have you, did you ever meet him or anything? No. I heard him play a couple of times. In which form? I heard Primetime. Uh, shit, maybe I only ever heard Primetime because I, I missed him. He came twice to Massey Hall and I couldn't go both times. Yeah. I made... I haven't seen him 
live and one of the biggest regrets of my life the last time he was at Massey Hall uh I was busy with schoolwork and I was like I'll catch him next time yeah and there wasn't a next time no that's the that's the thing you know I mean I'm pretty lucky to have seen a lot of people I saw I saw at Blackwell I saw Billy Higgins I saw Max Roach I saw Miles I saw Arnett. You saw Miles? Oh yeah. In which the summer one? before he died, the the um, his electric you know band, but it was, I mean, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. You know, Lena uh, didn't go. She didn't go see Miles because her dad convinced her that it wasn't going to be very good. <laughs> <laughs> her That's dad funny. was like, "He just plays rock and roll now. <laughs> it's not going to be good." That's funny. <laughs> I have to stop, I think. Yep. Me too. <laughs>